open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have an excellent interview about security here. Stephen Sprague, he's the CEO of Rivets. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Oh, thank you for having me. Could you give us a little bit of your background on how you help get these NIST security standards set up, moving the dialogue along, and how that's all going to play in with what you're currently doing at Rivets for extending this Bitcoin security? Sure. So I've spent the last 10 years of my career in the trusted computing space which is an industry standard technology for hardware security and all the enterprise class devices. So all of your PCs, phones, et cetera, are supporting an industry standard for hardware security. And we spent a lot of time at my previous company working with the U.S. Defense Department, overseas governments to adopt standards around how to leverage these technologies that are on over a billion devices. So things like the health of a device, did it actually come, the supply chain, did it come from the manufacturer you think it came from? And so these have now been captured into a variety of standards like NIST 800-147, which is about BIOS integrity, NIST 800-155, which is how we check to see if a device is what it says it is before we connect it to a service or a network. And these are very useful tools as we go forward in the cryptocurrency space. This is particularly important on not just the consumer level, because you showed me earlier, you've got this foundation built for a mobile application that would be a Bitcoin wallet. But also when we're talking about these enterprise level applications, HSM, I mean, there are just a lot of potential places where these private keys could be compromised, like how they're stored in memory, whether the USB device is compromised or not. There could be potential issues with malicious firmware on USB devices. So your standards are directed towards the standards that you're following with the hardware you're creating at Sprague and some of the software. It's directed towards a lot of these vulnerabilities, if right. I understand so correctly. One of the great opportunities of the cryptocurrencies is that it is a distributed peer-to-peer architecture. There's not a central service in charge. So one of the great challenges in a peer-to-peer architecture is, how do I know that the peer is trustworthy? If, for example, I give you a special Russian peer designed to steal every key you put in it, every commerce transaction, you wouldn't want to be using that as your normal everyday Bitcoin wallet because you'd lose all your stuff. You could think of that as your kid's laptop or an Android phone with malware running on it. So the challenge is, These hardware security capabilities allow us to, from the manufacturer all the way up through the chain of development of the hardware and then the provisioning of the device and ultimately its delivery to the consumer, you sign each of the events along the way and you're able to construct those signatures inside the device. So what we're able to do is go through that measurement process and include that measurement process when a transaction is done. So when I go to spend my Bitcoin, not only do I collect the user's intent their private key properly signs a transaction, but I can also sign that transaction even with a multi-sig event with the what's called attestation data that the integrity of the device is what we expect it to be. 
And so that way, I know that this is a transaction that's coming from a known device connected to the network that's in a known good state. And so I can help the consumer because the consumer doesn't know how to take the temperature of its device. You know, it's not like your device gets Ebola and you can give it a temperature test and the consumer can check that. It doesn't work that way. What the device can do, however, is perform a self-test. And that signature can be compared with what you expect the value to be. And if it matches Based on the NIST standards. Absolutely. Right. Based on existing standards. The trusted computing standards are IEEE standards. They've been adopted world around. You have then the individual governments that have built guidance on the use of those standards. There's been participation by industry, by government, by the certification bodies that say these how these things are supposed to work. And so we can have a reasonably good faith that when we get a measurement that matches, that it's actually something that matches. Or at least we understand where the vulnerabilities are. Again, it's a known environment. Nothing's perfect, but this is a great way to, for example, hold a million dollar secret. And we know it's good at holding a million dollar secret because it's been tested. Yeah. Now, when you say that you're putting this attestation data going into the Bitcoin transaction, are we talking about including that in the op return? Or, I mean, is that actually going into the Bitcoin transaction as a hash? Or is it going to be metadata that doesn't necessarily get recorded into the blockchain? I think the beauty of this is that there's such flexibility in how the cryptocurrency infrastructure is built that there are a variety of options. So today, we're writing that health data into a Namecoin blockchain as metadata associated with the device ID so that anybody in the world should be able to go look up that device ID, check to see what the integrity data measurements should be. And as long as I ask now for the device to report to me its integrity data, if it matches what it should be, then I have a device in a known configuration. It's like asking the blockchain to give you the signature for transaction 431, right? You come and you get it and you check it. And if it checks, then you know that that's still a good Bitcoin transaction because the signatures haven't changed. So the same thing is true for health data. It's just a different construct in the device. Right. Because right now, when we do a Bitcoin transaction, the network, all it is currently checking for are whether the private keys signed the transaction or not. That's it doesn't right. care anything about any extemporaneous information or data that might be around that transaction, such as the individual who actually did the signing, the device that it was done with. Because, I mean, we're looking at things like Apple Pay, for example, and we've got the Touch ID where it takes the fingerprint scan into the Apple phone. Like all of this type of extraneous metadata, if I understand correctly, could be included among these Bitcoin transactions or included in alternate chains. Like you're using the Namecoin chain, but with the Blockstream project, we could even build that into another side chain that's interoperable with Bitcoin Absolutely. in that sense, whether, right? and, and from our perspective, whether it's a side chain or, again, there are a variety of ways to do this. You could do this as a custom multi-sig. You could design a new script in multi-sig designed to do attestation data in a transaction. That'd be very cool. Yeah, we could you make could a Bitcoin. You could do Ethereum. You could do a sidechain project. You could do a variety of different mechanisms. Take a look at somebody like Factum. They could be the origination authority for all the origination documents to say, yes, we check the manufacturer keys. We check this. And so that whole check then gets rolled up in what is that attestation key. So this can go from very simple to extremely complex. The standards are pretty well described on how this would work. In industry, we haven't been doing this in a transaction where the enforcement of this takes place today is at the point of connection to the network. It's a technology called Trusted Network Connect. And so before I'm allowed to connect to the corporate resources, we check to see whether the device has proper BIOS, proper integrity, proper firmware, did the software load correctly? Does your Windows operating system image match what it's expected to be? Is your anti-malware software in place or not? 
all those kinds of checks are possible on a standard corporate class PC. In this case, we're not trying to check the whole PC because we don't really care. We can check just the integrity of the hardware security area in a trusted execution environment where the Bitcoin transaction is being formed. So now I have a device where I'm forming a transaction in a known container, and I can test the cybersecurity controls of that known container. This known container, I mean, it's actually physically sandboxed in some of your implementations, right? Right. So on ARM, inside the ARM chip, there's a secure world side and a normal world side. And in essence, there's what's called a bare metal hypervisor, a really low-level control that either puts the chip in one mode or the other, and it's never in both. And so what happens today inside your phone is it interrupts your primary Android operating system for a fraction of a microsecond and processes code in the secure world side where everything written and read from memory is encrypted, all the processing is isolated. So even if you had complete control of Android, you cannot see what's taking place in secure world side of the phone. And so therefore, we're able to both store the Bitcoin keys securely, the private keys. We're able to generate them securely with good random number generation. And we're able to provide the, the tools to actually sign the Bitcoin transaction in a manner where it's signed in that secure environment. Then it's handed back to the real world side of Android. Because it's a signed transaction, we don't care at that point. As long as it's delivered across the network, it will become a Bitcoin transaction. Right, because that's one of the big deals with Armory, for example. We've got the Bitcoin core, the reference implementation that's the gold standard in terms of network security. And then we've got Armory, which currently, with the innovation of cold storage and multi-sig cold storage, is the gold standard of wallet security. And so you're taking this wallet security to a whole new level by actually bringing in trusted devices and having these assurance standards with those devices, where we're actually doing the signing of the transactions before we broadcast them to the network. That's correct. So we're trying to take advantage of the state-of-the-art capabilities that Intel and ARM have built into their chipsets across the devices. And as long as consumers are going to go buy Samsung phones or HTC phones or Intel platforms, these devices have certain security characteristics that are really designed to help protect this kind of modern cryptographic transaction. And so we're using those in the client equipment. It's consumer's choice to turn it on. It's consumer's choice what device they buy. And it provides an environment that isolates this processing from this very promiscuous environment called an operating system. It's like a cocktail party with guys with Google shirts and Android shirts, and then there's other guys with black hats on, and there's a guy with an NSA shirt, and everybody's running around the operating system watching what's going on. What we're trying to do is create a little secure area where the the Bitcoin transaction can be done. And so these tools were designed exactly for this purpose. And so it's great to bring them. The community of trusted computing has spent a decade and many billions of dollars provisioning this infrastructure, it's great to have a true consumer application where we can roll it out in scale and not have to go sit down and talk to Visa about whether or not they're going to support it on their network. The beauty of Bitcoin is once you make it work in the client, it works to every Bitcoin merchant that's signed up. Yeah, that wants to use it. We've got not just consumer application with this technology, though, this trusted computing. Mm-hmm. We've also got enterprise level. For example, we could use this hardware and the multi-sig functionality and even fragmented backups, which uses Shamir Secret Sharing to split up the private keys for any particular signature you're going to be signing. Mm-hmm. We could use that to craft all types of security profiles, right? Like segregation of duties, like we could build oh, pretty absolutely. much anything that anybody could want. So we're a very firm believer at Rivets that it's not about provisioning your phone. 
It's about provisioning your phone, your tablet, your PC, your other phone, your other tablet, your car. Your collection of devices becomes your Internet of Things identity. And so you're using that collection in things like the NMM signature process, etc. So if you want to do a more expensive transaction, I don't care that it's your phone and your PC or your PC and your tablet or your PC and your car, right? It's that you're showing you have presence of some predetermined policy that says, I have control of this collection of devices there before I can do something. We think there's enormous value that when you go out and buy a new tablet, you don't want to add each service one by one by one. Rivets will bring you the possibility. You just add the tablet to your collection and all the services are automatically then added to that tablet. And this could also have, when we're talking about like board of directors and segregations of duty, we're going to be able to know through these assurance standards exactly where any potential vulnerabilities or breaches could happen in those procedures, yes. correct? And so in terms of quantifying the risk, like say you're looking at this from the insurance company perspective, because we have these standards already in place, we're able to quantify a lot of that risk. Absolutely. You know, it's like building a bank, right? In the case of Bitcoin, the bank is inside your device. And what we're asking is, what's the quality of the bank, right? Now, I can build a branch bank out of four pieces of plywood and a roof, and we can look at it from the outside and say, oh, that's not a very good bank. Or we can go to New York and look at Citibank's main office building and say, well, gee, that's a pretty impressive bank. That doesn't necessarily guarantee one is easier or not easier to break into, right? But vaults at the end of the day are designed at different levels. The vault in your hotel room might be good to keep your wallet while you're on vacation, but I wouldn't put a billion dollars in the vault in your hotel room. On yeah. the other hand, Fort Knox is great, but it's kind of annoying if what you want to do is buy a coffee. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this more from a like from an enterprise point of view. Like, say that we down the road and we've got titles to houses and we've titles to shares of stock. A lot of these things are trading, and we're holding them in our armory wallets, or we've got side chains and colored coins on top of those, and mm-hmm. we've got all of these digital assets. You brought up the buzz phrase, the Internet of Things. Right. We've got all these assets that we're owning or controlling, and not just on like a personal level, but it could even be on a large corporate level. I mean, oh, really? we could be talking about oil refineries and all the equipment involved in there, or like access to particular areas of a building. If you're a pharmaceutical, like all that stuff can be managed through this blockchain technology and we can segregate all those duties and properly split and segregate the keys. And then because of the assurance standards that you've been talking about, we know exactly where any of the breach, if there is a breach, know pretty much exactly where it happened, right? Absolutely. You can add to that the idea that with identity, which fundamentally is represented in these devices, the other thing that when I have policy control inside a device I can do things like take a really strong identity and, in essence, go fix, go fetch a tokenization of that identity and therefore create privacy. So, for example, you could have a corporation where all the employees vote for whether they like the CEO or not that week. Okay? But I don't want to know who voted where. A blind voting pool. Right. So you could have a blind blind voting pool is a great way to describe it, of all my employees voting for the CEO – which, of course, then the CEO would want to know, well, who the hell voted for me and who didn't, right? <laughs> and what you did was you used your employee identity, the device you have, to go fetch a token. And you can only get one token in each device, and then that token is voted. And so there's some fantastic ways to use regulatory commentary in Bitcoin. Know your customer quality identity with full privacy. Right. Now, we can wait, argue whether wait. that's a good regulatory environment or not, but technologically it's now possible because I have this policy capability within the client device. Well, and that's one of the really big problems is, like, if you're a hacker and you want to steal a bunch of identities, 
you don't want to steal a 2 million person database. You want to steal Home Depot's 59 million person database. Like there's a reverse economies of scale to this PCI compliance, this personal information that's out there. So, I mean, what you're talking about is we can reduce that cost that's currently being borne by consumers in terms of privacy, which manifests itself in identity theft. In a lot of cases, we're able to pretty much entirely eliminate the attack surface, if I'm understanding you correctly, through this tokenization process. That's right. And it's the only cybersecurity control that's ever been deployed in scale that worked. So the example is in the early 1990s, we had analog cellular phones where anybody could steal the ID by just listening to the phone on the radio because the ID went in the clear through the air. (laughs) Wonderful. They had 60 million fraud events in, I think, 94. In the transition from analog to digital, we put SIM modules in handsets, and fraud went to zero, and we think we can build wallets in handsets. But the security is only there for voice. The SIM module's only job is to protect AT&T, not anybody else. Because we have this perception of phones being more secure. In reality, they're just enterprise-managed PCs that happen to have a really good secure voice channel. Right. And so the tamper-resistant identity enabled a global deployment of cellular, which has delivered this whole mobile revolution. And it's all based on doing a really simple thing, which is subscribers pay their bills. Yeah. That's all they really care about. They don't care who's talking on the phone. They only care that somebody's paying for your kid's phone. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, discount the importance of the security also until they're actually a victim of the identity theft or they do have some type of a security event. Well, security is an afterthought. I mean, the problem we have in enterprise is that there's somebody at J.P. Morgan Chase who got fished. And when they lost their credentials, they lost the database. Why is it that the J.P. Morgan Chase IT staff trusts humans? What they should have done is tokenized all their Windows passwords given them a virtual smart card. Now the user logs into their machine with a PIN number, but machines log into the network. So you'd have to steal a physical JP Morgan machine. You wouldn't have to steal a user password. User password only works if you use it on a JP Morgan machine. On a specific machine. That's right. And then you're building in additional checks and balances in that security profile. That's correct. And so we move to a model that's well understood in consumer, which is mobile phones actually work pretty well. But in enterprise, we're not doing that. We're still using walkie-talkies where you type in a code that says, this is who I am today. It's just a generic walkie-talkie. Yeah, we... And so when you sort of put it in that analogy, it sounds like it's pretty stupid. But basically, enterprise computing doesn't believe in mobility. Right. And all these are just major issues that blockchain technology is going to help. If it's applied correctly, we can greatly reduce that attack surface. We can protect against the attack vectors. We can greatly reduce costs in terms of fraud, in terms of identity theft, a lot of these things. And make it convenient. And make it convenient. Blockchain is a fantastic way to store a history of events, the single ledger of all things. The problem is, who wrote the transaction into the ledger? So the ledger is only as good as the quality of the events it stores. If I steal your private key, I write a bad transaction in the ledger, the ledger is going to do a brilliantly good job of storing that for all time. Yeah, it happened. Right? (laughs) It happened. What Rivets is all about is providing a set of tools so any wallet vendor, any distributed app vendor can improve the quality of the events that are written to the blockchain of their choice. Well, wonderful. It's great to know that we've got very entrenched people in this hardware computing security industry working on solutions to help secure the Internet of Things, which is, in my opinion, Bitcoin and blockchain technology is going to play a huge role in all of that. So we've had Steve Sprague, CEO of Rivets, on this episode. Thanks for being with us, Steve. Thank you for having me. 
be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.